1: Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott.
0: Welcome back to another week of Real Personal Finance.
1: Thank you. Another week, another question, more answers. That's right. I'm excited. Yeah, let's get after it. Who's who's this one from? This is from Will. We have a question from Will, and it's a common question of balance and prioritization. And, hey, we want this home. This home is expensive. We also want to save for long term. How do we think about balancing those two? So really great question. Let me read it, and then we'll start working through it. But Will says this. He says, I'm married, and we're renting in Manhattan, New York City. My wife and I are 31 years old and we have no kids. Our household income is $400,000 to $450,000, depending on bonus. We have a $50,000 emergency fund, plus $250,000 in Roth 401ks, and $250,000 in brokerage and cash. Our incomes have grown exponentially over time, so while savings is relatively low to current income, we are now saving around 35% of gross income. My question is this, we want to stay in Manhattan, we want to be homeowners, but we can't make the math work. Our current rental is a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, and it just went up to $4,400 per month in rent. A comparable condo would sell for around $1.3 to $1.5 million, and that would put the mortgage at around $7,000 with another $2,000 to $3,000 in maintenance and taxes a month. Rent does keep increasing, and I don't want to keep getting squeezed, but does buying in Manhattan just not make sense? Well, mm. all right.
0: Good question.
1: It is a good question. Good things going on here for Will and his spouse. Yeah. And there's just that, that battle of priorities of they're saving a healthy amount. They're paying for rent. It sounds like they love the Manhattan area, but are starting to ask the question, is this just unrealistic for us to sustain this living in this area long-term? Mm-hmm. Where would you start with this, Scott?
0: Well, uh, you know, to start, we can look at, let's look at this, the basics of like, so they can rent for them is 4,400 a month. So that's about 50, it's called 53,000 a year, about 13% of their gross income. Mm-hmm. And then if they were to buy, it sounds like it would cost them. Of course, we need to have a down payment factored in, but mm-hmm. just the ongoing monthly expenses would be around 10,000 a year, around 120,000. So that'd be about 30% of their gross income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And those are good places to. I, I think it's always healthy to know okay, people want to know how much of my monthly budget should go towards home. Is it 20%? Is it 25%? Is it 30%? And mm-hmm. there's some good rules of thumb to follow. But I think the better approach is can you get the home that you want to live in and still have cash freed up to live life, save for the future, and not feel like you're house poor, not feel right. like everything is being committed? For some people, that means no more than twenty-five percent can be applied to home purchase. For others, it's hey, I could easily do thirty-five to forty percent of my income going towards home and still feel totally free to do other things. So, I think the approach we want to take is is, is let's look at the savings that they have right now—thirty-five percent, which is a very healthy savings rate. Mm-hmm. Should that be applied towards long-term savings? Should that be applied towards paying more for, say, a property in Manhattan or a property that they want? Or what could you do with that? Does that sound good? That does sound good. Let's do it. Cool. Let's. I'm going to kind of start with from a totally different perspective. Let's not even look at the house for a second. So yeah. we know they want a home that maybe costs $1.3 to $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, Scott, Okay, we need to think of coming up with a down payment. Then we need to think of... The mortgage, then we need to think of maintenance, then there's property, there, there's all these things. But before we do that, right now we know that Will and his spouse are 31 years old, household income is 400,000 to 450,000, and they have 250,000 in 401ks and 250,000 in brokerage and cash. Yep. For a second here, let's Fully exclude that brokerage and cash. Let's just assume what if that all gets used to buy a home that leaves $250,000 that they have left over for retirement. Well, they're saving 35% of their income based upon this note to retirement, which Mm -hmm. is $140,000 per year Mm -hmm. on the low end Mm -hmm. incomes, not 400,000, but 450, then it's even higher than that. What if instead of saving one hundred and forty thousand per year, or, or not? What if, but what if of that one hundred and forty thousand per year, they allocated forty five of it just to max out their Roth four hundred one ks Right. And I say just you know just maxing out two Roth four hundred one k. That's a pretty significant accomplishment, but that's forty five thousand per year instead of one hundred and forty. So right. that remaining ninety five thousand is freed up to do something else with. Yeah. If that's the case, and they have two hundred and fifty thousand today. And all they did was put uh, 45,000 combined to max out two 401ks from now over the next 30 years. I'm not including any employer match. I'm not ever assuming that that 401k contribution limit increases. I'm just assuming what if you just did that for 30 years, your investments grew by 8% per year. They would end up with about $7.6 million in retirement accounts 30 years from today, around age 61.
0: Yep, with an eight percent growth rate, you got
1: it. With an eight percent growth rate, obviously not guaranteed. Could get more, could get less, but just kind of a, a simple starting point. Yeah. When point. I look at that, I say, okay, you're saving thirty five percent right now, which is wonderful. But what? Where are we saving that to? Mm-hmm. I don't. Is that all being earmarked towards long term? Mm-hmm. If so, my feedback might that might be excessive unless your goal is to be financially free, for example, by age. 50 and never have to work again in that case yes we have to really ramp it up but if not you're probably on track to be really overfunded for your long-term goals could you instead take some of that money and get a larger home do something else with it probably could and probably still be just fine Mm long-term
0: does that make sense it
1: does it does any any pushback or any other thoughts on that
0: no, I think from a from the math standpoint, the math plays so long as life doesn't change. I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think that on on paper, you know, I think that the the math that uh, that Will was doing at first is like, hey, I just can't wrap my head around paying this much more to be a homeowner. Um, and what we're saying is, well, you know, from a math standpoint, you you could do it. Um, And you'd probably still be okay from a retirement standpoint if nothing else in life changes. Yeah.
1: Yes, and I appreciate you saying from a math standpoint because you might be listening and saying, "Oh, well, what else is there to finance besides math?" So, well, there's life, and there's kind of the the curveballs that life throws us. So, sure. something might make a ton of sense on paper, but what are some examples of some things that could potentially happen over the next number of years that could derail some of this?
0: Yeah, well, we we haven't heard anything about it said, you know, 31 with no kids. And the moment I think of kids, I think (laughs) expenses go up, especially for working full time couple um, in New York. You're probably looking at um, either a very high end child care service or perhaps a nanny, which is usually considered a full time employee for a lot of people. So that could change expenses pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. Now, if they don't plan on having children. I don't think that that, um, you know, things could look pretty rosy here.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. That's a, that's certainly a big one of, to your point, is there child care costs or do you need a larger home? Because if we're just looking at a couple bedrooms and there's multiple kids, that's right. a bigger expense. Or does one spouse stay home with the kids? All of those are things that would either drive up expenses, reduce income or both. And so that's something that could take this very simple math that we just looked at and kind of, okay, well, that's out the window. So it certainly needs to be consideration.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. And then what about their career trajectories, right? Do they both want to keep working in these jobs for the next 30 years? No change. And it's in its pretty steady state that their incomes are going to stay, or could there be some volatility in that coming up? Would one of them maybe want to take time off because they want to have kids, or maybe they just want to take time off for another reason? Um, and making sure that they have enough cash flow to support that with this, what would be a very different expense.
1: Yeah. If you could say, hey, I, I'm guaranteed 400000 or 450000 per year and rising for the next 30 years, it's very easy to start budgeting in how could you afford a mortgage over that time period and make the numbers work out just great. Yeah. But if it's, I lose my job because of a recession or company shuts down, or I'm just in a position that's very well paid. But if I ever lost this position, it would be very difficult to find a replacement or a new one that pays the same amount. Well, if that's the case, we can't bank our entire future on you keeping that level of income forever. We would need to be more moderate in our assumptions of what, how much house could you actually afford if it's not realistic to assume that we can maintain this level of income to fund a mortgage for the next 15, 20, 30 years or more. Exactly. Yeah. And then I and I alluded to this earlier, but I, I have no idea if what their retirement goals are. You know, if if they say we have no intention of ever really retiring, we love what we do for work. Sure, we want to do it on our own terms, but it's not like our goal is to be done at any specific point. I wouldn't worry too much about saving like crazy for long term. I, I would save a healthy amount, but. Do you need to save 35% to long-term investment accounts if your goal is not to be done working um, at some early age? Mm -hmm. Probably not because what that's doing is it's costing you the ability to use that money today for things like home purchase, for things Mm -hmm. like lifestyle, travel, family, whatever else that might be. Mm -hmm. But if your goals are, oh no, well, we're saving that much because we want to be financially independent at 50 and never work again. That's a different story. We do need to make sure we're saving that. And so we would have to look at the house decision through a different lens of we don't have as much money that we can budget towards that because we have to keep more of our cash flow for retirement savings.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to where do you want to, right now you're creating, you're generating, creating a lot of flexibility in your life by having such a high savings rate if you're enjoying life as is. If you're enjoying life as is, you know, you're, you're on, you're on a trajectory to create a lot of flexibility for you in life. Yeah. But if it's not really, if you're not really living a life that you want, um, then that's a different conversation.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I think the principle is run the numbers based on what life looks like today. Okay. How much income could you, or how much house could you really afford when it comes to, Not just the down payment, but also what does your monthly mortgage look like? What do monthly maintenance costs look like? Could you do that and save for retirement and still feel like you're comfortable? That's a great place to start. But then ask yourself what could happen in the coming years? Job change, relocation, family, bigger house, more expenses, less income. Just What are some of the things that might impact that? Because when you're buying a home, it's not a one-time expense where it's, okay, here's my down payment, and then you're free and clear. Yeah, it's an expense that you're committing to for several years, decades, even. So we need to make sure that we have the income going forward that can support that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else that you want to add to this this question from Will? No, I mean, you
0: just you know, it's it's nice to see that it's possible for them if they want to do it. I think the key question is, do they want to? What kind of flexibility do they want to have in their lives? Understanding their own income trajectories and the future expenses of life. You know, if, if they really want to plan for kids in the future, I'd uh, they'd probably take a, a really hard look at this one because yeah. it's uh, it's going to have a lot of extra expense that'll that'll really squeeze things for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, just back the napkin math. They're saving thirty five percent of their income today. That's wonderful. But let's assume there are kids, and one of them ends up staying home. Just very simple example. Right. Fifty percent of the income goes away, so that exactly. you know after taxes and savings, it's you kind of using the remaining income to just cover the cost of life before saving anything. So there, there's some really significant changes that could happen depending on what they envision their lives looking like. Hundred percent in the coming years. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, Will, thanks for that question. If you are listening and enjoying this, we ask that you would leave a five star review. It's how more people find the show, and we really appreciate it when you do that. So leave a review. If you have a question, submit that to the realpersonalfinance.co website. And other than that, we appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you all next time.
0: Thanks so much. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.